God, you are awesome. We love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Everybody turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read two verses of Scripture, and I'm going to let you sit down. Hebrews chapter 11 simply says this. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, everybody say, through their faith. Now, yeah, let's practice like y'all are going to preach with me. Say, through their faith. Say it like you, you mean it. Say, through their faith. That, now I feel like I'm in church. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. Before you're seated, let's lift our hearts up. God, we need your word to come alive in us today. Change us on the inside into the people you've called us to be, Lord. And I pray that you would give us divine understanding of everything that you want us to learn in this series over the next few weeks. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, and you can be seated. Praise God. We're starting a brand new sermon series today. Like Cam told us in the video, we are learning about entrepreneurism. Everybody say entrepreneur. And he's like, this is an odd thing to learn about at church. Well, I, I agree. Churches tend to stay away from topics like this, but I really felt strongly about 18 months ago that this was where God wanted us to go. And we started the series at the beginning of the year learning about calling and diving into all of that. And we just last Sunday finished up our discovery series. And literally, these are all just one big series just diving into a different topic. So let me encourage you, go to nolachurch.com or check us out on our YouTube channel. Get caught up on any of the sermons you may have missed. If you have downloaded the app, you can also watch them there as well. But I, I want to encourage you with this because there's a lot that God has for believers that go so much further beyond just attending church services. Amen? It's so much more than that. In fact, Jesus didn't die on the cross and resurrect from the grave just for us to gather in buildings on Sunday. And I think so many times we've turned faith in God into church attendance. Now, it's important to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 talks about. You need to gather with other believers, but you and I have to understand that our faith is not determined by the number of Sundays that we sit in a semi-warm room in the middle of the summer. And let, let me go a step further. It doesn't even, it's not even determined by the amount of money that you give in the offering. It's not even determined the number of hours you spend in small groups. It's all about something that goes vastly beyond this. He didn't, he didn't do everything that he did in the 33 and a half years of his natural physical life just for us to gather in buildings on Sunday or, or to just go through the motions of uh, studying the Bible just simply for the sake of studying the Bible. You can study so much that it, this loses all power when you're just trying to get information. You have to understand that when you read this book, you're not reading information. You're not reading good words. You are reading the living word. His name is Jesus. And when you read this, you need to allow him to read you as well. And just watch how his word begins to change. But he didn't do this for us to just go through the motions of some pseudo faith, just kind of faking it until we make it. Acting like we're believers because we got a Jesus fish on our car, a Hebrew tattoo on the inside of our wrist. A K-Love sticker on our car, even though we never listened to K-Love. The full collection of, of the 
fireproof series. Like, like we shop at Hobby Lobby and we eat at Chick-fil-A at least three times a week. That's not what Christianity is all about. It sounds good. That's nothing more than just another subculture of the world. He, did, he didn't do what he did over 2,000 years ago for us to live our lives exactly like everybody else around us, but with just some minute variances in our personal values. He said, I've got something more for you. In fact, God manifested himself into the world in which you and I live, and the Bible tells us that he lived and he died and then he resurrected all entirely to infill us for one purpose and one purpose only. There's only one reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth. There's only one reason that he died on the cross. There's only one reason that he resurrected. And there's only one reason, just like we celebrated last week, that he poured his spirit out into the world on the day of Pentecost 2,022 years ago. There's only one reason that he did that. And there, my friend, there's only one reason that you are here in this house today. And that is simply this, to expand his kingdom. We're not here to check our religious box. We're not here to find out how to vote in any upcoming election. We're not here to say, oh, I, I know some people that are Christian. and That's not the reason we're here. We're not here to find out where we're protesting in the upcoming week. We're not, we're not here to find out where, what, what is going to be the cool, trendy thing to do in the, in the pseudo-Christian world that we call church planterism. And it got quiet. Y'all think I'm coming for you. I'm not, I promise. I'm literally coming for all of us. Because we've turned faith in God into a culture when it's supposed to be a movement. Faith in God is supposed to propel us out of the places of comfort that we build for ourselves. And it's all about kingdom building, but not our kingdom. Not about building our brand. Not about going through the motions of all this Christianese stuff. It's about expanding his kingdom. So when, when God started laying this on me, uh, like I said, about 18 months ago and getting ready for this series and all the things that we had to preamble through to get to this place, I was like, God, what are we going to call this? And he said, I just simply want you to call it entrepreneur, which is living the risky life of faith. Living the risky life of faith. And, and what we're going to do is I, I want to unpack what entrepreneur means because let's be real. Uh, this church, by the way, if this is your first time here, welcome home. We have great coffee. We love you. We were saving your seat. So glad that you came to fill it. But I, I, I want to tell you, we are intentionally biblical in everything that we do. Everything that we do as a church, we can find scriptural basis for it. Sometimes we use words that are not necessarily biblical, but the principle is biblical. Does that, that sound cool? I don't want to go to some church growth book and then preach a series on that. I don't want to preach what someone else has preached because that's what God gave for that house. We're going to preach what is in this house because this is what God wants us to hear. So the word that I've titled this series is not a biblical word. You can search through all of the translations, all thousand or so of them. You're not going to find the word entrepreneur in the Bible. But the principle of entrepreneurism is definitely there. So let me break this down. The word entrepreneur simply means this, the first out. Literally the first out. If you're all hiding behind a wall of protection and you step out and you're the first one, you are the entrepreneur in the group. If you look out and there's nobody else around you, guess who you are? You're the entrepreneur. But there's a, excuse me, I feel like I'm 12 years old again. <laughs> 
Please pardon me, puberty comes back even when you're almost 50. <clears throat> Next week, I'll have a broken out face working in McDonald's as a manager. It's going to be awesome. But there's another side of the definition of entrepreneur. It doesn't just mean first out. It also means first to take a risk. And this is where we really begin to see the character of God revealed in a very entrepreneurial way. You got to understand this. Let me lay a little bit of foundation, then we'll get right into this. Jesus calls every individual who has ever lived into relationship with him. It's very Christianese to say, my calling is such and such for me to do such and such. And when you get into Christianese circles, they're going to say, well, what's your calling? Well, my calling is this. And then we self-identify with something that sounds good in a pseudo-spiritual way, overlooking the fact that calling has nothing to do with our actions. It has everything to do with our identity. Every individual who has ever lived, every individual who will ever live is a person that God has called into relationship with himself. Your calling is literally an invitation to be in relationship with the living God. Well, what's my calling? Relationship? Well, what am I supposed to do? First, be in relationship, and I promise you, he will reveal your purpose in the moment where you are serving. It's, it's not like, well, there's a divine purpose that I'm supposed to do every day for the rest of my life, for all eternity. This is the only thing I can do. If that's the case, there are people that hold the door open on Sunday that it, that is literally why they are designed by God. I don't believe that. In fact, I would be willing to bet that about 99.99% of what we do in serving within the team at church has nothing to do directly with the move of God. Like, well, I thought you was a church planner. I am a church planner. But we get caught up chasing purpose because we're trying to find team members to take responsibility when what we should be doing is connecting people first with that relationship with God, which is their individual calling. And if we can get them so connected to Jesus, get the atmosphere so charged with the power of the Holy Spirit, the God of all gods has the power and the ability to reveal what every one of us should be doing in any given moment. So he calls us into this relationship and then as we begin to discover our passion and our giftings, that's when he reveals our purpose. And then what, what he does, and this is what we dived into last week, then he baptizes us with his spirit, which is, is his divine character. And this is where we begin to obtain spiritual authority. And he equips us, and then he puts a framework around us to make it easy for us to go out into the dark, dark world and start shining the light and love of Jesus. And all of this is for one purpose and one purpose only. For you and I and every person in this room and everybody in all of our campuses, all nine campuses in the nation of Kenya, come on, y'all, let's give them a hand real quick. All of our family in Australia, let's give them a hand real quick. All of our family all throughout Europe, let's give them a hand real quick. All of our family who stayed home today because it was warm and they wanted to go play golf, we love you. We ain't going to say hi to you because you stayed home and didn't come to church. But anyway, but the whole reason that he did this was to make every believer understand this. You are not called to be a Christian. You are called to be a kingdom ambassador for Jesus Christ. It's not for, and I didn't get near enough amens on that because y'all scared about where I'm going. Like, he's going to have me do something. I promise I'm not. Over the next six weeks, I'm going to reveal some things about our identity. I promise you, I'm going to challenge you because I've been getting beat about the head and neck for the last 18 months. It's your turn, I'm just saying 
Here's what happens. Jesus fills us with his spirit. By the way, we're one of those churches that believes in the infilling, the indwelling with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the character of God filling you up to overflowing where you overflow and you get up out the church and you just go have fun out in the world. It's not a license to be weird. It's a license to be effective. Amen. If you're being weird, stop. Jesus fills us with his spirit and then he empowers us with his entrepreneurial character so that our lives actually have the ability to expand his kingdom. The problem is we try to expand his kingdom simply from a position of acknowledgement. I believe there's a God. Cool. Well, because I believe, now I'm ready to go take on the world. No, you're not. You're going to get your head handed to you. You're going to get knocked down and you'll get up again. And then, then you get knocked down again. I'm sorry. It, they get bad. Like, they're worse and worse. You're going to miss it when you... You're going to miss me when you're gone. <laughs> see, see what I did there? Like, if you try to overflow truth without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you're going to hit a brick wall. And this is the problem. People hit the brick wall. Oh, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that again. I'm just going to go to church. just going to hold the baby. I'm definitely not going to hold the TV. Definitely not declaring touchdown. You know, I'm not going to get too crazy because when I got crazy that one time and I stepped out of myself, I got hit really hard. And you know, it's not God's will for me to suffer anything. Who been lying to you? Don't believe all the Christian TikTok and the Christian Instagram and the Christian Movies that make it like, oh, it's, it's going to be the best thing in your life when you choose Jesus. It's never going to rain. It's always going to be wonderful 72 degrees year-round. You're never going to have bullcrap. You're going to have trouble in your life. It's going to get rough, amen? You're going to face some things. That's why he said, I want to fill you with my spirit so you're not having to face this by yourself. I want to fill you to overflowing to give you the equipment that you need. And so what we're going to do, and, and I'm telling you this, we're going to be in this series at least five weeks, possibly more, but for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at five topics very intentionally, and everybody say profitability, profitability. Dedication, dedication, intimacy, intimacy. Investment, investment, and expansion. Beyond that point, we'll see what he's got in store. We may go into the next series. We may just hang out here for a minute, but we're going to see. Is that cool? Is it okay if we just see where he wants to lead? We're going to follow the cloud in this moment. Amen. So today's title, starting with the first topic, today's title is Profitability. And I want you to be asking yourself this question throughout the sermon. Is my life profitable to Jesus or am I just a consumer? Is my life profitable to Jesus or am I just a consumer? Let's turn real quick in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at a few verses here. I'm not going to read all the verses between verse 14 and 30, but I'm going to highlight a few here for the bulk of, of today's sermon. And I'm going to show you some things about entrepreneurism through the lens of the topic of profitability. And while you're turning there, it's going to be on the screen, but I, I want to give you some context so you understand what's going on. This is very close to the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. He is, he's getting ready to ascend back up into the heavenlies and everything that he's been doing for the last three and a half years with his disciples 
is coming to a close. And we are right in the middle. We're literally jumping into the middle of several lessons that Jesus teaches about two key topics, the kingdom of heaven and the end of days. And you can't just say, oh, this one's about this and this one's about this. What you're going to find as you dive into this is every parable, every story, every lesson that he teaches through these few chapters right around chapter 25 of, of the book of Matthew are all about both of these topics. And he's teaching us something through this lens and there's something that we can learn because every one of us who call ourselves believers, we need to be very concerned about what the kingdom of heaven is, amen? He wants us to know what it is and he also wants us to see how to connect with it. So there is the, the, the context. Now let's dive in. Let's start with, with verse 14. It says this, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. Everybody say, going on a journey. Got a trip to take. It's summertime. I'm going to go on a trip. I can afford gas because I saved up all the money I needed for the gas because gas is 75 bucks an ounce now. But this dude apparently did not live right now and he could afford the gas and he could go on a trip. So the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a trip and he summons his slaves and, and the translation here uses the word slave, but let me go ahead and tell you, that's not what the word means. Right now, half of us are thinking, oh, that's the stain of early America. That's not what it's talking about. It's better translated as the word servant. In fact, a very specific individual within the hierarchy of servants. It's literally talking about the very base level of servant. This is the one who had to do all the work for all the other servants. And the better translation would be the word bond servant, meaning the individual who has indentured themselves to the master or indentured themselves to the owner or the business leader. Does that make sense? So we're not talking about human trafficking. We're not talking about marginalizing people. That's not godly. If anyone tells you it is, they're wrong. You can go to the Bible. That's not what it means. Amen. We cool. We're all on the same page. All right. The dude goes on a trip and he summons his servants together and watch what he does. He entrusts his property to them. I'm leaving. I'm going to take some of what I have and I'm going to entrust it to you. And there were three of these that he calls. Notice first thing, every one of these individuals are servants of the business owner. To the one guy, he gives five talents. To another, he gives two. And then to another, he gives one. Notice this. I love this passage. And a lot of people overlook this. Each according to his ability. What is entrusted to them is not random. The responsibility that God has given each and every believer who is here in this room today in churches all over the world, whether it's today or whether it's another time, the responsibility that God is entrusting is not random. It is intentional and it's based on each one of our individual ability. And after he entrusts it to him, he goes on his journey. Before we go on, let me break this down because I want you to understand this. Because we read the Bible through a lens of North American understanding, we see the word talent and we think he's talking about abilities. Like I, I, know, how to, I know how to play baseball or I know how to play basketball or, or football or whatever it is, that's my talent. Or I know how to sing. I know how to build stuff or I know how to sew. I know how to cook, whatever. We think of what we know how to do and that's what we think this scripture is about. That's not what it's about. 
The word talent here is not referring to abilities. The word talent here is actually a monetary measurement. In fact, in specific, it literally means 75 pounds of whatever the wealthy thing is or the thing of value is. Now, we can, we can assume because we're in the first century Roman Empire right here, we can assume that because in history, the Roman Empire was on the gold standard at this point, we can make a very fair assumption that a talent represents 75 pounds of gold. Now, that is an assumption because the Bible does not say, but history tells us that at this period of time, gold was the primary thing that they would use for monetary. Everything was based off of the weight of gold. So you have to look at it like this. The guy who owns the business entrusts part of his wealth to three individuals. One guy gets five talents, one guy gets two talents, one guy gets one. 75, 75 times two, 75 times five. I went to Christian school, I'm not really good at math on my feet. Y'all do the math, y'all got a calculator, I can't pull mine out, there you go. But here's what I, I found out in getting ready for today's sermon, I wanted to bring it in. That way, man, this was so relevant to where I am today. Cool, all right, so if this happened today, Today, gold is $1,882 per ounce. There are 16 ounces in a pound. So five talent dude has around 11.2 million bucks. Two talent dudes got a little over 4 million and one talent dude's got a little over 2 million. Okay. Business owner, trust them a lot. Like, Olga and I go out of town and the kids are like, y'all gonna leave us money? What are you gonna do with it? Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm leaving 100 bucks for the four of you to get through the next two weeks, you know? He's breaking off 11 million bucks. I'm leaving here. Like, I, I want that kind of boss. I'm, I'm just saying. But this is what he does. Now there's a little bit of context. I'm pretty sure gold was not that valuable back in that day. But if we look at it through the lens of how we live now, he broke off a fortune and entrusted it to each one of them. But let's go on and look at verse 16. It says, the one who had received five talents went off right away and put his money to work. And then he gained five more. Almost 23 million bucks. Now, we don't know how long this was, but he doubled his money. He, he went out right away. He didn't wait. He didn't chill. He didn't wait till the weather was right. He didn't wait till the opportunity was right. He was like, oh, you entrusted that to me? Here I go. Giddy up. We're going to make this happen. And he goes out and he earns five more. The one who had two gained two more. Didn't wait. But notice this. The one who had received one talent. I think we could all justifiably say that he had also received an absolute fortune. Anybody got 2.2 2 million bucks hanging out in your wallet right now? Not me. The homeboy was rich. But he went out, notice this, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money in it. The five-talent guy doubles the money. The two-talent guy doubles the money. One talent guy digs a hole, buries it. So I, I, I want to break this down so you understand it. If, if you read in this translation, I'm in the New English translation. You might be in a different one. 
Different translations represent this a little bit differently. But in the original text, if you dig in here, there's some nuances that you learn about what each individual does with their money. The five-talent guy is extremely creative with his abilities. More than likely, look, he, he's entrusted a little over 11 million bucks by the master. He's already proved what he could do, what his abilities are. He knows how to be creative. I don't know if you know this, but guys that, that make 11 million bucks or ladies that make 11 million bucks, they don't really sweat a lot while they're working. They know how to be creative. They know how to put their money to work for them. And in entrepreneurial lingo, let me break this down so you understand, this is called risk embracive. You're embracing the risk there's risk involved in anything, right? There's always risk. I love when I go get on a plane, invariably there's going to be somebody saying, well, you know, you have a higher percentage of dying. And you're not like, stop. I'm about to get on a plane, a metal tube up in the, up in the sky. Stop. Leave me alone. But in life, you have to be willing to embrace some risk. And the individual who is creative and willing to put their money to work for them, this is called, in entrepreneurial terms, risk embracive. They're very little concerned about the risk itself. They're like, hey, there's risk. We can work with that. That sound right? This individual is very creative. And the two-talent guy, the original text tells us, he didn't know how to be as creative, but the original context lets us know that he went out and went to work and doubled his money. So if, if you want to look at this in, in context, the five-talent person, Mr. Risk Embracive, he's white-collar. Mr. Two-Talent Guy, and we're going to call him Risk Tolerant, he's blue-collar. One's not better than the other. They both double their investment. They both go to work, but they go to work by their abilities. Does this, this make sense? Have I bored y'all with economics so far? I'm almost done, I promise you. We're going to get into how this applies, but you're going to learn some things. So the first guy is creative, and he's risk embracive. The second guy is more of an engager, and he is risk tolerant. He's not willing to go out on the limb and just like put it all in the stock market because he's I, I don't have as much to play with, so I'm going to be a little, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to diversify. I can handle a little bit of risk, but man, you give me too much and I'm going to back up a little bit. Somebody know what I'm talking about. This is risk tolerant. Then we look at one talent guy. One talent guy hoarded what had been entrusted to him. I don't know if y'all have ever watched the show Hoarders, but if you watch the show Hoarders, they got stuff everywhere. They got stuff inside their stuff, on top of their stuff, right next to the stuff. They pull the stuff out and there's stuff under there like, where'd that stuff come from? I don't know. what. That's, I don't even know whose stuff that is. Their stuff has stuff. One talent guy hoarded it because of fear. And in economic terms, this is called risk aversive. I'm scared of risk. So I'm going to make sure that I'm protected. Every time I go step out, I'm a little nervous, so I'm going to build up a wall and then I'm going to step. I'm going to build a little wall and then I'm going to step. God, how come nothing ever happens in my life? Answer me, but I got to build this wall real quick before I step out. Okay, now can you answer? Oh, I got another question. Build another wall. So you've got risk embracive, you've got risk tolerant, and you've got risk averse. Let's look at verse 19. After a long time, we don't know how long it was, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled his accounts with them. Somebody hear me. 
It's not talked about near enough in, in the postmodern church. But there is going to be a day soon and very soon, as they used to sing when I was growing up, that there is going to be a day that we are called to account for everything that has been entrusted to us. And what we see by reading the scripture is that risk and brace earned five more, but not just earned five more. What we see here is that Mr. Risk Embraceive profited five more. And I'm not going to take the time to read through all the scripture, but I highly encourage you, spend some time in Matthew chapter 25, 14 to 30 this week. Study it out and you're going to see a lot of really cool things. What you're going to learn right here is this, that when, when he brings his prophet back to the, the business owner, he says, hey, you trusted 11.2 million bucks with me and here I've got almost 23 right here. And the master says, you good and faithful servant, you were faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler or give you responsibility over a whole lot more. I want you to enter into the joy of your master. And oh, by the way, hey, I want you all to take that profit and I want you to give it right back to him. Notice this. Not only did Mr. Risk Embraceive return the principal and the profit back to the master, when the master saw what he had done with it, not only does he give him the principal right back, he also entrusts the profit to him, but now it's different. The principal still owns to, belongs to the master, but the profit now belongs to the servant. Because if he doubled this money when it belonged to somebody else, what can he do when it belongs to him? Not only was he risk-embraceive, the master is also risk-embraceive in the servant's life. You did what you could do, and watch what I'm going to do in you and through you. By the way, I'm not talking about economics. But I'm laying some foundation. This okay? Like, you can leave here. And I went to business school on Sunday morning. Here we go. All right. In the very same way, we see that Mr. Risk Tolerant profited two more and the principal was reinvested in the same way. You, you good and faithful servant, you were faithful over a few things. I'm gonna give you responsibility over many. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, by the way, give him back the principal and give him back the profit. The profit is his, the principal is mine. Keep earning for me, but now earn for yourself as well. Here's what we learn from this principle, and this is a God economy thing. And by the way, this series is not at all about money, but it definitely applies here. When you begin to trust God with what he has entrusted to you, notice that. You are not your source. I am not my source. No matter how talented, no matter how much ability we think we are, no matter how business savvy we think we are, we are not our source. There's nothing that we can create on our own without the power of God. If we have been entrusted something, it comes from the one who is the source. But notice what the source does. He doesn't just give you what you need. He gives you more than what you need to continue to do what he's designed you to do. God is not risk averse. God is extremely risk embraceive. Yes, there is a risk. I will take 100% of all of my glory. I will take 100% of all of who I am. I will take the fullness of my character and I will breathe that into a fallen earthly vessel. In fact, it's a jar of clay that over time is going to break down and what I put in is going to start leaking out. But I'm okay with it leaking out because I'm not scared of the risk. But our God is risk averse, but we're, God is very risk embracive, but we are very risk averse. And in the same way, 
As the one talent do. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. Then the one who had received the one talent came back and said, notice this, sir, I knew you. I can see his Christianese pride beginning to well up. Whoo. Sir, I, I went to a small group. I joined an online forum. I followed the top three preachers on TikTok. Until they say something I don't like. And then, of course, then they're not of God. But Lord, I, I better stop. I, I could go all day on that one. Sir, I knew you. Sir, I, I knew you. Let me, in fact, let me prove to you how much I know you. I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you didn't sow and gathering where you, you never scattered seed. Like, you were so awesome. Like, how amazing are you? Oh, does that sound a lot like a Sunday worship service? We know you. Look how awesome you are. Also that we can justify, I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. And notice this. This is what so many of us do because we are so naturally risk averse. We know you. You're awesome. We've written all these songs about you. And we hope you like them. They all kind of sound the same, but we really hope that you like them. Got the same four chords and possibly we'll mix it up and do a seven flat. Those of you that don't know music every now and then you're like, what's that? That's what makes it cool. Back in the day, you knew, back in the day, you knew God was moving when you changed keys right during the middle of the song. We need to bring back some key change every now and then. I grew up gospel. I'm just saying a good key change every now and then. Whoo, I feel the spirit of God. Hey, change keys. Here we go. You're, you're so awesome, and we know how awesome you are, but we're scared. So we're going to take what you entrusted to us, and we're going to hide it. Just so on the day of judgment, on the day that the accounts are called, we can say, look what you gave me. Here it is. I wrapped it up in cellophane and duct tape and then put it in bubble wrap. It's completely protected because I never risked anything. But what you gave me is here in pristine condition. This is where so many of us are. Is this okay this morning? We're extremely risk averse. God, I believe until a law passes that challenges my belief. God, I believe until they start ducking out of my following on, on social media and then I feel bad because they all left me because I named the name of Christ. Lord, I believe until somebody at my work challenges me because I don't really know what I believe. I just like to say that I'm a Christian, but my life doesn't really exemplify Christian principles. Lord, I believe until cultural Christianity is, is revealed to be the lie that it actually is. Lord, I believe until they make a documentary series that challenges my favorite worship band. Too real? Lord, I believe until life gets hard. But I'm going to make sure to protect whatever you gave me. I'm going to protect it because I know that's what you asked me to do. I'm going to invest in you, God, or you're going to invest in me, and, and I'm not going to do anything. Well, I'm just going to make sure it's right here, and it's buried, and it's okay. It, it's fine, God. You don't have to worry about what you gave me. I still have it. 
I still have it. I, I had an experience with God when I was six years old. I haven't prayed since, but I remember that experience. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was baptized into the name of Jesus. And man, I'm just like filled to overflowing with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But I haven't been to a small group in six years because, you know, I'm protecting it. Oh, you, you want me to get involved in something outside of Sunday? Like, why would I do that? Is this okay? You start to see the connection here. God is extremely risk-embracive, but we're extremely risk-averse. The risk-averse guy simply returned the principle. What do we see here? No profitability because he was playing it safe. I used to be a stockbroker back in the day. I know one of the many jobs that I did before I became a church planner. Good church planters have done like 90 million things before they actually started because so, they're going to have to do 90 million things once they plant. But I was a stockbroker for, for a few years and, and I was talking to one of my clients and he said, hey, I want you to find me an investment vehicle and I want you to find the one where I'm guaranteed not to lose my principal. I said, okay, hand me the check. He handed me the check. I put it in an envelope, wrote his name on it and handed it right back. I said, there you go. Because without risk, there is no reward. If you're scared to death of letting go of what's in your hand, you'll never have the ability to get something more. As long as you're like, no, it's mine. 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 Stingy. Immature. I felt the power of God so strong on Sunday. Mine. I'm not going to talk about it at work, mine. Because they're going to think I'm weird, mine. I'm not going to get involved in anything, mine. Because I don't like their process, mine. That's not how I would do it, mine. Very risk averse. But no profitability. Verse 26, but the master answered. Notice this. Again, not enough people talk about this part of the parable. But the master answered, evil and lazy servant. Original language, wicked and foolish. Absolutely evil and without the ability to even acknowledge God. You wicked and foolish servant. And then the smart aleck comes out. Everybody thinks Jesus has the English accent and the piercing blue eyes. And I love you and you're awesome. That's not what. <laughs> you're so glorious. Like, Jesus ain't at Downton Abbey. I'm just saying. That's not how it works. <laughs> then he gets a little snarky. So you knew who I was? So, so you knew? You sang all those songs about me. You got all the tattoos about me. You spent all your time on Christian TikTok about me. Really? Whatever. You knew. You, you knew all about me, right? Because you knew I, I didn't harvest. You know, I harvested where I, where I never sowed and I, I gathered where I didn't scatter. You, know, you knew about me. Good for you. Then why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? Because at the very least, I would have earned some interest. 
but you did the worst thing you could have done with what I put in you. You went and buried it. I could have earned interest if it was in a low-yield savings account at Gulf Coast Federal. Okay, you, you may not know this, but the average return on a savings account is 0.001 per annum. Not a really good investment vehicle. You're not going to make a lot of money. Like, hey, I, I earned like 32 cents this year. Good for you. But it's FDIC insured. Again, good for you. You're not going to earn a lot if you're unwilling to risk a lot. By the way, I'm not telling you to take your money out of your savings account. I am not your financial advisor. Do no. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm a pastor, I'm teaching you God principles. Is that cool? Go, go talk to Charles Schwab over there by Otsavola and he can help you out. And, and they're, they're not paying me to tell you, they just happen to be one I could think of in the moment. Just go talk to somebody else. But you're not gonna earn a lot of money in a savings account. But notice this, and even in, in first century Hebraic culture, it was considered pagan to put your money in the bank for the users or the usury to give you interest because there's a, there's a part of God's covenant in the Old Testament that says don't charge interest on someone when they loan you money or when you loan them money. Don't charge them interest because interest was considered non-godly. But here, the master who represents God in the story, everything in the parable represents something in the real life. God's saying, at the very least, you could have done something to earn me some profit, but you didn't earn me any profit. You took what I put in your hand and you buried it in the ground and brought it back to me as if you needed a gold star for bringing back your life to me. Therefore, this is tough. Therefore, take the talent from him. Take the 2.2 million that he buried and give it to the one who now has a little less than 23. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Let me help somebody out. God never promised to be fair. Stop asking him to be. God's going to entrust to you based on what he knows about you, not on what you know about him. Take from the one who has one and give it to the one who has 10. For the one who has will be given more and he will have more than enough. Why? Because he was risk embracive. God, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what my next step is. Are you pushing the risk away? Are you saying, bring the risk to me because I'm not my source my God is. And even what the one who has nothing will be taken from him. Right here, we, we see that, that Jesus is actually leaning into another parable that he talked about where he gave a, a very revealing thing about the character of God. In, in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, to whom much is given, much is required. Let me make this very relevant for all of us here today because I know a lot of y'all haven't read the book of Luke, especially chapter 12. The way that Stan Lee and Marvel says it is with great responsibility comes great responsibility. And I got amens on that one because y'all watched all them Marvel movies. <laughs> Uncle Ben didn't come up with that. Aunt May didn't come up with that. That's Jesus that said that first and foremost. To whom much is given, much is required. When you've been entrusted... Let me change. When God makes an investment in your life, 
He's not interested in you being risk averse and protecting what he put in your life. He's looking for you to turn a profit. That's why he made the investment in the first place. I'm bringing this to a close. Let me show you real quick how to apply this in your life. Mr. Risk Averse had no entrepreneurial drive, none. He was scared to death. The door of opportunity sat right in front of him, but he was like, I'm not going anywhere. Mm, I got to protect myself. I, I know this. I know this guy. He thought that he knew. He saw some of the moving of God and thought that was enough to determine who God actually is without really diving into the character of who the master is. Because if he had dived into the character, he would have realized that the, the master was more about profit than he was protection. So what he did is he acted on fear, which was actually fueled by his pride. See, he was proud. I know you. I know you. I know, I know all about you. I know everything there is to know. I'm so proud of how holy and righteous I am. Every new song that they do, I, I know it because I was listening to it before they started singing it. Every sermon series, I was already way ahead because I spent more time studying. I go to every small group every day of the flipping week. I never spend time at rest. I'm just go, 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 go. I know, I know, I know, but you don't know. The reason you're staying so active all the time but not producing anything is you're actually very, very scared. But here's the thing you got to understand. His pride blocked his profitability. God is looking at every individual believer saying, I have invested my character, my divine nature into you. I have entrusted you with the responsibility to seek and save the lost. But I want to see a profit. What is my return going to be? Look at verse 30. I want y'all to take that worthless slave and I want you to throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, let me show you why. A lot of times like when we come to church because we're in, we're in the day and age where people don't like to be offended because when they get offended, they run away and they go someplace that they're not offended. Therefore, their life never changes because they're never challenged. Normally, we would avoid this scripture because this is going to bump somebody and they're not going to be real comfortable. We want to make everybody, no, no, we don't want to make everybody comfortable. I want to challenge you. My job is not to make you comfortable. I gave you air conditioner to make you comfortable. I'm not going to water down truth no matter how bad it offends the world because the gospel offends me every time I open the Bible and read it. Because he's holy and I'm not. Amen? Amen? Remember, we started off our reading in, in verse 14. The kingdom of heaven is like. This parable is about the kingdom of heaven. This is what God reality is like. 
This is not some random story. Let me tell you and reveal to you the truth of what my kingdom is actually like. This is what it's like. No matter what books they write, no matter what some, some religious theologian says 2,000 years later, let me tell you what my kingdom is really like. By the way, the king of all kings is the one telling you this. I'm pretty sure he knows what his kingdom is like. Amen? But now we get to the end of the parable. And this is where we have a glimpse at the end of days. We see what the kingdom is like, and now we see what the legacy of living in fear and chasing pride. Because this is one of the first nods in his teaching that Jesus talks about eternal damnation. We call it hell. But notice who he's talking to. Brace yourself, I'm coming for us. He's not talking to Hitler. He's not talking to the politician that you don't like. Every couple years. He's not talking to the person whose lifestyle doesn't measure up to your lifestyle or your opinion about the Bible. He's not talking to the people that are different than you. He is talking about someone that he called a servant that he had entrusted part of himself into. He's, let, let, let me put it in our understanding. He's not talking to the lost world. He's talking to the church. What are you doing? with what I invested into you. Are you protecting it because you're scared to death of getting canceled? Or is the way that you present it so abrasive that people run away from me? When I never told you to stop saying truth, but I told you to speak truth with love. And you take every opportunity to preach when you probably should love. What are you doing with what I've entrusted to you? Because you see the result, and by the way, in case anyone was wondering, this is one of the biggest textual examples of why the, the fallacy of once saved, always saved is not even remotely biblical. Every one of the three servants in the context would have been believers. They were servants entrusted with responsibility. God never entrusts responsibility to people who don't believe. And the risk-averse believer, he's saying, take away from him what I entrusted to him and put him into the place that I reserve for the devil. Pastor, this is a hellfire and brimstone. You better believe it. Because this is not a game that we're in. Christianity is not a subculture. It's not a fake it till you make it. It's not a go through the motions, check the box, go on back to life. I got my job and occasionally I do my faith thing. No, no, this is real. If you name the name of Christ, if you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you've been baptized into the name of Jesus, if you have received God on the inside, you've got to understand this. He has entrusted his wealth into you.
And he's not asking you to just go to church and check the box and then nothing else in your life change. Where is the profit to what he has put in you? What we see here in the risk of our servant is the legacy of pride because pride always produces chaos and separation. It's interesting, the month of June is declared Pride Month. What is produced from pride? Chaos and separation because y'all, there is no profitability in pride because pride doesn't produce anything of life. It can't. It's chaotic. It's self-fulfilling. It's self-pleasuring. It doesn't produce anything. There is no profit in it. So let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. First sermon in our summer series. Tell your friends and neighbors, don't come, it's bad. No. How many of you believe in Jesus? Let me see your hand real quick. Awesome. We're almost batting a thousand here. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. Is your faith profitable? Or are you just a consumer? Are you a sponge? Are you allowing life to wring you out? Why am I going through this? Somebody asked me this the other day. Why do I keep going through this? Because you've absorbed so much of God and he is allowing life to wring you out because it's not about what is inside of you. It's about what he can get out of you onto the world around you. You're gonna have to go through some things so he can see a return on his investment in you. It's not comfortable, but don't run away from the ringing. Because if you wait on the Lord through that ringing, he's going to renew your strength. Waiting on the Lord is not a place of inactivity. Waiting on the Lord is absolutely trusting him to where you don't have to build a wall of protection. You step out of the boat onto the water that should not hold you. And before your foot ever touches the water, he's like, I've got you. Your foot's not going to sink until you get your eyes off of me. And right now I'm talking to some believers. You've been sinking. Are your eyes on you? Are your eyes on your comfort? Are you locked fixed on the one who created you and called you out of the boat in the first place? Because he says, if I make the investment in you, it will not return unto me void. But you got to trust me. Step on out there. Is there anybody willing to be entrepreneurial and say, I don't care about the risk. In fact, damn the risk. I'm ready to step out of my comfort and I'm ready to be radical for Jesus Christ. He invested so much in me. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to use prostitutes. I used to be a pervert. But now I'm standing here preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's put so much in me. Don't ask me to back up. Don't ask me to be quiet. If he said it out there, I'm going to step into it. To whom much is given, much is required. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I sound like. My God has invested more in me than I could ever spend. And if I got to stand up here every Sunday and say, it's not about your Christianity. It's about your profitability. If I have to say that every Sunday for the rest of my life, only got 20 to 30 years left in this life, but I'll say it every day of my life. Stop living in your Christianity and step out into the world of entrepreneurism because with great risk comes great reward. Let me close out with this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. 
is what Jesus says. But above all, everybody say above all. But, 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 but pastor, that, that doesn't mean literally everything. That, that, that only means some things. Above all, and by all, I mean these things, not these things. I mean, I've got, I, I got to think about, you know, all of these things in the natural. So above, above the things that I do on Sunday. No, no. Christianity is not about being in the church on Sunday. Real Christianity is about being in the world Monday through Sunday. Literally 365 days, 24-7, like all the time. You're on all the time. If you understand what real Christianity is all about, it's not about what happens in here once a week. Above all, pursue the kingdom and righteousness. What is kingdom? God reality. What's righteousness? Relationship. Above everything else in your life, pursue God reality and relationship with the one true living God. And all these things will be given to you as well. What things? Go read the context of Matthew 6. Everything that you strive every day to make sure you've got enough of, food, shelter, clothing, retirement, 401k, education, life dreams, all these things that you invest so much of yourself chasing, he says, stop chasing those. Chase my reality above that Chase relationship with me above that, and I'll take care of all this. Does that mean I can't have a career? Absolutely not. I have a career. But understand, he entrusted your career to you because that's the vehicle through which he wants you to show profitability. It's not about you. It's about him. So as I close out this first sermon of, of the Entrepreneur Series, every eye closed, nobody looking around. I'm asking nobody to leave just yet. I'm going to let you go here in a second, but nobody leave, nobody moving. Ask yourself this question. Is my life returning a profit? Or am I simply going through the motions? Am I consuming? Am I trying to get out ahead of God and doing what seems right? Am I burying what he's invested in me so that way I don't lose it? Or am I willing to step out and be risky? Am I looking for ways to not be engaged? Am I looking for opportunities to push back from my responsibility? Or am I willing to be the first out the gate to say, hey, it's risky, but I'm willing to take the risk. God, meet us in this moment and breathe your spirit into this house. Because, Lord, I know that you didn't entrust your character and your wealth to us for us to simply be hoarders of truth, celebrating our salvation and going through just the motions of faith, not producing anything. But, God, we know that you are not damaged in any way. So as you enter into the womb of this church, Lord, let something divine be conceived in this community. And, Lord, let us bear the fruit of your glory. God, don't let us get comfortable. God, don't let us become complacent. Don't let us just go through the motions. But God, set us on fire radically for you.